Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Nearing the end of this gospel account and our study of it. A couple more weeks, I think. We jump back in today um, on what is Resurrection Day. So pretend that the last uh, three weeks didn't happen and we're right back on Easter Sunday because that's uh, where we are, but it's not the morning, it's the afternoon. And uh, that's where we're going to be today in verses 13 to 35. Did you ever have the experience where you tried to uh, recount some wonderful or humorous event? And uh, in the end, after telling the story, everybody just kind of has that puzzled look like, I don't get it. And perhaps somebody will say, well, you had to be there. We, We Christians sometimes have that kind of problem The things we believe and celebrate uh, uh, happened 2,000 years ago, halfway around the world in a culture completely different than our own. No wonder we have difficulty grasping their significance sometimes. We we might say, I I think you had to be there to really understand. But God has given us a way to know him, a, a sure way A way not to reserve just for those who actually were there and saw Jesus and saw him raised from the dead. He has given us a a, a way that is appropriate for his disciples in all ages. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. This great principle of our faith that says that Jesus meets us in the word, in his word, and in the sacraments. We see that truth illustrated in this text One of the most beautiful stories in the Bible, an account of one of the events on the afternoon of the day Jesus was raised from the dead. Let me read it for you. Luke 24, beginning with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them, that is disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, "Are, are you only a visitor in Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This story has been called a literary and spiritual jewel. The genius of this text is how it teaches us that Jesus meets us in the word and the sacraments. So that's what I want to talk about, uh, dividing it into those two elements, two points. The first is this, that in the scriptures, Jesus discloses himself. In the scriptures, Jesus discloses himself. It's late in the afternoon on the day that Jesus rose from the dead and these two disciples filled with confusion and bewilderment head home from Jerusalem. They start this seven mile walk down the road to their little town of Emmaus. We don't know where that was. And as they walk, they're talking about everything that happened and suddenly Jesus comes up and walks with them. But they do not recognize him. So why didn't they recognize him? They knew Jesus. Why didn't they recognize him? Well, Mark, who doesn't really tell this story, he just makes mention of it, says something about Jesus' form being different. And we know that's the case. The risen Jesus' body was a bit different than our bodies in that it was a glorified body. But here, verse 16 makes it clear that they didn't recognize him because the Lord kept them from recognizing him. Him. Now that is a bit mysterious, but I think we'll learn a reason in just a minute. So as they walk along, Jesus asks them what they are discussing. And at first they can't believe that he doesn't know. I mean, are you the only one that doesn't know? Are you visiting here? You don't understand what's just happened? And so they go on to explain. And interestingly, Michael Wilcox uh, points out they know all the facts about Jesus. They know all about Jesus' ministry and word and indeed. They know all about the leaders handing him over to be crucified. They know all about the hope that Jesus would be the Messiah they were waiting for. They knew, knew something was significant about the third day. They had heard the reports that Jesus' body was gone and the testimony that he was alive. They knew all about Jesus, but they didn't know him. They didn't recognize him. You see, they were kept from recognizing him so that he might teach them and now teach us this really important truth. They had known Jesus according to the flesh. That's the way we know each other. We see each other. We touch each other. We talk to one another. We give each other a hug. We know each other in a a physical, fleshly kind of way. That's how they knew Jesus. But for the days ahead for them and for us now, they need to learn that it's in the scriptures that Jesus will be known now. In the scriptures, he is truly revealed. There he discloses himself. 
We see that down in verses 25 to 27. Jesus says, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter, glory, enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, uh, De- Deuteronomy, um, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books, all the way up through the Old Testament to the prophets, the major and minor prophets, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said concerning him in the scriptures. Jesus calls them foolish and slow of heart because they didn't understand what the scriptures were saying, though they probably knew the scriptures quite well. But they didn't understand that the scriptures told them about him. And so he goes on to teach them a whole new hermeneutic, a whole new way of interpreting the scriptures, a whole new way to understand the meaning of what we read there. He shows them, beginning with the law through the prophets, how the point of the whole Bible is to reveal Christ Jesus to us. That's the point. It's not a history lesson. It's not just stories of great men of old. The point is, there Jesus discloses himself. And as we study the scripture, sure enough, that's what we find. In the beginning was the word. And who was the creative word at the beginning? John tells us the word is the Lord Jesus. After Adam's fall into sin, promises are made concerning the seed of the woman. And who's the seed of the woman? The Lord Jesus. He's the ark of safety in the face of the flood. He's the promised seed of Abraham when the covenant is made. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah who have precedence over God's people. He's the Passover lamb, the one who averts the wrath of God from us. He's the Shekinah glory, symbolized in the pillar of cloud and fire over the, over the tabernacle in the wilderness. He's the manna, bread from heaven. Jesus himself says so in John 6, John 6 that, that, that Israel experienced in the wilderness. He's the living water from the rock. He's the lawgiver. He's the judge. He's the promised prophet greater than Moses who would come. That's Jesus. He's the true Joshua, Yahshua, same name as Jesus. He's the captain of our salvation, as Joshua bowed before the captain of his salvation. He's our true portion, not the land of Canaan. The Lord Jesus is our true portion, the inheritance of his people. He's the kinsman redeemer that first uh, 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 signified and represented in, in the story of Ruth. But now our true kinsman redeemer the Lord Jesus. He's the anointed one, the son of David, the heir of the throne. He's the true wisdom that Solomon talks about. He's the temple, God's dwelling on earth. Where? In Jesus. He's the holy one that Isaiah saw in chapter 6. He's Emmanuel, God with us, who who God promised to Ahaz in Isaiah 7. He's the Wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace that Isaiah spoke of in in, in Isaiah chapter 9. He's the branch, the life springing out of what looked like the dead stump of Jesse and David. And here comes life, the branch. It's the Lord Jesus. He's the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He's the living redeemer in whom Job hoped in his most uh, dreadful days. 
He's the lover and bridegroom of his people that Hosea knew about, that Hosea talked about. He's the long-awaited Sabbath rest. The one who says, come to me and I will give you rest like you've never known on any Sabbath. He's the Christ, God's Messiah. You see, he's everywhere in the scriptures. He himself says, search the scriptures. They speak of me. In the scriptures, Jesus discloses himself to us. Oh, but these uh, people, these disciples, their problem wasn't just that they hadn't uh, learned to see Jesus in the scripture, that they only knew him according to the flesh. Their problem was also that when they did see something of him, they only saw what they wanted to see. They and all the Jews knew that the, the prophecies about the Messiah coming to establish his kingdom, that was their great hope and dream. But through it, the prophets, God had also spoken of the Messiah to come and suffer and pay for the sins of his people. That they didn't want to hear. It just couldn't be that the Messiah would suffer, would be associated with sinners. And so as Jesus discloses himself to them in the scriptures, he had to pointedly explain his suffering. Look at verse 26. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory? First suffering, then glory. They didn't understand that. In fact, he explains the same thing later in the chapter. Down to verses 45 to 47, when he's meeting with the 11, he says, Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. People naturally want to have a king who conquers and is victorious. But there can be no glory, there can be no victory, there can be no kingdom, unless Jesus first deals with our sin. Otherwise, everybody's going to be destroyed in the judgment. But Jesus disclosed the mystery of God's plan, that he came first to bear our judgment before he came again to bring judgment. And how do we know these things? The scriptures disclose Jesus' person and his plan. Because these disciples were used to knowing Jesus only according to the flesh like we know, were used to only paying attention to what they wanted to know about him, as we too are inclined to do, they had to learn to know Jesus in a new and a, a better way. And that's the way we know Jesus, the way they had to learn to know Jesus in the scriptures. On every page, God reveals his son and his wonderful plan to save us. Do you know Jesus like that? Not just facts about his life, not just Jesus like you like him, but do you grasp who he is and what he's doing as he has disclosed himself in the scriptures? So often people, even Christians, think, well, that would be a pretty boring pursuit, seeking to know Jesus in the scriptures. Well, it certainly isn't the kind of central excitement the world sells. But look at what these disciples said about it when they look back in verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us 
while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. It wasn't seeing Jesus alive in his body that got him so excited. It was being taught what the scripture said about Jesus that set their hearts on fire. And when they began to understand, they couldn't get enough. Stay with us, they begged. Abide with us. Don't go. Stay here. It was this urgent request that moved Henry Light to write that well-known hymn years ago. Abide with me. Fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me, abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. They just couldn't get enough of this sweet disclosure of Jesus once they began to truly understand the scriptures. Oh, yes, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago and a half a world away, but we can know him today for the, the scriptures disclose him, the beauty of his person and the mystery of his saving plan. That's the first thing we need to learn from this text. But that's not the end of the story. There's another truth here. And that is that in the supper, Jesus shows his presence. In the supper, Jesus shows his presence. These disciples walking along with this stranger are in for a huge, huge surprise. When they get to Emmaus, they, be, they beg the stranger to stay. It's too late to continue traveling. And so they get all settled and uh, uh, begin to eat. But then a strange thing happens. Jesus is the guest, but suddenly he takes the role of the host. He takes the bread and he gives thanks and breaks it and begins to give them something to eat. And then, according to verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. In the supper, Jesus showed them his presence. Now this is an interesting event, for it's tied to so many other things that took place in those 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. Repeatedly, Jesus appeared to his disciples during those days and taught them how to understand the scriptures. But also repeatedly, when he appeared with them, he ate with them. It was true here at Emmaus. It happened later that night when Jesus appeared to the eleven back in Jerusalem in the upper room. In John 21, he fixed breakfast for the disciples on the beach after they had fished all night, and he ate with them. In fact, he was eating with them in Acts 1, when we read that he promised them his spirit. And in Acts 10, Peter comments that he often ate with us during those days. You see, Jesus eating with his disciples not only proved to them that he was really alive, he was not a ghost. It taught them that he would keep his promise to be present with them to the end of the age. In these many appearances, the spiritual food which Jesus' presence gave his disciples was communicated to them by his eating physical food with them. That's how he chose to teach them about his continuing presence with them. And you see, the Lord's Supper does that same thing for us. It's not exactly the same, but it, has, it, it, it ends up having the same purpose. 
Here we eat and drink symbols of Jesus' body and blood. And we do so with God's promise that here we enter into a, a, a fellowship, a participation, the word is koinonia, a participation in the body and blood of Christ. In a very special way, Jesus comes near to us here. Here we see him, not physically see his body, but we see the symbols of his body and his blood. We see with the eyes of faith as he was teaching these disciples in Emmaus to begin to see him. And thus, like the early church, we become more keenly aware of the thing that that, that drove everything about the early church, that when they gathered, the risen Jesus is among us. He's here. The Belgic Confession puts it this way. This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. At this table, he makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death, as he nourishes, strengthens, comforts our poor, desolate souls by the eating of his flesh, and relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. And so he works among us who come to his table this morning. In the supper... Jesus communicates to us his presence. We sing about it regularly when we have the Lord's Supper. We're going to sing it again this morning in a few moments. Here, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. Here would I touch and handle things unseen. Here grasp with firmer hand eternal grace and all my weariness upon thee lean. Here would I feed upon the bread of God. Here drink with thee the royal wine of heaven. Here would I lay aside each earthly load and taste afresh the calm of sins forgiven. This is the hour of banquet and of song. This is the heavenly table spread for me. Here let me feast and feasting still prolong the brief bright hour of fellowship with thee. In the supper, Jesus makes his presence known. People will try everything to make God seem more real. And so we have all kinds of wild and strange things posing as worship. But while the world and some misguided churches seek in vain for something new, Jesus meets us in his word and at the table. It's hard to overstate the importance of that truth. Fred Craddock, who you know that I really enjoy his work, uh, says this. There were special appearances of the resurrected Christ to a number of his followers for 40 days before he was received up into glory. Yet were that the whole story All believers except those select few 
would experience really only the absence of Christ. They would have to try to keep faith alive on the thin diet of having once been seen by someone else. Thus, all subsequent generations would have been secondhand Christians, removed by time and place from the Camelot of Luke and Acts. But Luke here tells us that the living Christ is both our key to understanding the scriptures and the very present Lord who is revealed in the breaking of the bread. His presence at the table makes every believer a first-generation Christian. And every meeting place, Emmaus. For in the scriptures he discloses his person and his plan, and in the supper he makes his presence known. Let's pray. Father, we often think we're shortchanged somewhat that we never saw Jesus with our eyes and touched him as the apostles did, and we think it would be so much more real and her faith would be so much stronger if we could somehow do that. Sometimes we come up with creative things to try to make it all more real. But Lord, may we not miss what you've told us, that you've given us your spirit to open the scriptures that we would know you in a way that's not inferior but even fuller than sitting down and talking with you and seeing your body and touching you. And that you've made your presence known to your people, not just in one place where you happen to be that day, but in every place where we come to the table and eat the bread and drink the wine and participate have fellowship with a risen, living Savior. So maybe not settle for anything less than that, Lord. We ask your Spirit to not let us settle, but to renew us and to cause us to see you in a, in a new and different way and to experience you in a, in, a, in, a, in a better way than what we know according to the flesh. May that be true even this morning as we eat the supper together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.